Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. We will be in Ephesians today. We have been talking about what it means to find our identity. And, uh, you know, one way, one way that people find their identity, uh, one way that people uh, project their identity out into the world is through writing resumes. You guys know about this? Yeah. It's, this, is how, this is one way that people establish a sense of self in the world, is through their resume. Uh, this is where, for those of you who've never done it before, uh, this is where we create a document <laughs> that lists out our education, our experiences, and the qualifications that make us a good candidate for the career position that we seek. I've had Eric Phillips help me write resumes before. Anybody else had Eric help you write a resume before? It's a handful. Uh, Now, a resume tells people what you've been up to, how how you've been investing your time and energy. And they, they help people determine whether or not you're capable of being effective in a job. Now, in some ways, your resume is the encapsulation of everything that you valued in life up to this point, isn't it? It's supposed to reflect every good thing that you can bring to the table based on what you've learned in life. I can remember writing my first resume. It was short. It's a very short resume. Um... And one of the things that you learn right away when you start writing a resume, there's the, you, you discover this along the way, is that if your resume is going to be effective, you have to learn how to massage it to make the most mundane things on earth sound important, right? You know what I'm talking about? So, so if your work history includes that you worked like flipping patties at the local McDonald's, Okay, that's not, you know, working in the kitchen at McDonald's. You know, that's not how you say that, right? You say that you were the chief artisanal beef technician, (laughs) right, for two and a half years at a local high-end food establishment. (laughs) Why do we do this, right? Why do we do this? Because we, like most of, of most people in the Western world, Believe that our pedigree, our education, and experiences determine who we are. And we feel it's necessary to to work and to rework and massage the facts, ultimately, because we're afraid of not being good enough. And so we get really good at, at, at creating the illusion of our worth. And this is a problem. This is a problem because this begins to affect us at a spiritual level as well. I wonder, I wonder if we were to write a resume as a disciple of Jesus Christ, what would that look like? 
Now, last time we were together, uh, we studied and we looked at um, Paul's life, and we talked about the will of God and the call of God on our life, and what does that mean? Now, now, Paul told us that God had given him a job to do, right? What was his job? His job was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. It was a new position. God had carved it out just for him, right? It was a new position, apostle to the Gentiles. And he told us exactly what his job required in order for him to be effective at it. But what we're going to look at today is Paul's resume and a description of his job requirements, what his job requirements look like. And we're going to ask ourselves, do we have the resume of a disciple of Jesus Christ? All right? Ready? Everybody's found Ephesians chapter 3? Okay. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to be with us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this people. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, I just want to acknowledge that we really struggle with knowing uh, who we are. And, um, and it seems like even when we, we, we start beginning to understand who you've made us to be, and we start on a path of knowing you, and, and we, we can see our reflection clearly from your word, you know, we, we stare back at ourselves, but we can see all the areas of weakness, but we can also see what you've called us to, and, and we know ourselves through Jesus Christ, and we can see that, that, uh, that, Lord, you've washed us clean of our sin, and uh, we begin to like what you've made us to be, uh, then just like the next minute, we turn around and we start, we start just getting confused, and we let the world tell us who we are, and, and we, we take their advice, and we pursue their pursuits, and then suddenly our identity uh, is, is more impacted and more shaped by the secular world than it is by the God that's, that's called us out and, and made us his very own. And so God, forgive us of that and help us to get a clearer view today of what it means to follow you and to know you and to be a child of God. Help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's begin in verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord." In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Okay, and so what we have here is is Paul is rehearsing for the church in Ephesus uh, what it looks like for him to be a follower of Christ. And in so doing, he's inviting them to use him as an ensample that they might better understand who they're supposed to be in Christ. That's, that's what we have here. Now, now, some of us, we feel disappointed in our Christian resume. We feel disappointed. And if you uh, sometimes feel deficient in your qualifications, you aren't alone because Paul felt that way too. The man who wrote this letter from a jail cell, if you remember, 
had some of the finest, the finest academic uh, training in the entire known world up to this point. I mean, if, if anyone was to, to be perceived as being qualified for the work, we would think, well, certainly Paul is. From an early age, he was, he was trained in the, the line of the, the, the Sanhedrin, and he was learning among the Sadducees, and he was learning law, Jewish law, and he was studying at the feet of, of, of some of the greatest leaders of his time. And he was given opportunities that other men weren't getting. And, and so he was being trained in a way. And he, and, he, and he seemed to have all things figured out. But in spiritual terms, those worldly accolades meant nothing to him. Nothing at all. You know, some of you uh, have degrees that you're not using. Yeah? For real, like you, you, you got a bachelor's degree in some area, and then once you graduated, you were like, oh yeah, that art history degree, there's like seven jobs in the entire metro area. That philosophy degree, whoops, you know, like uh, some of us got degrees that we're not using, and you like went into sales, right, or you went into, you know, management or something. And so there's a lot of us that often get degrees that we don't use. And this is similar to where the Apostle Paul was at. His education wasn't necessarily pertinent to the work of apostle to the Gentiles. Right? It didn't quite translate in every way. In fact, he was trained in the ways of the Jews. And, and God was like, nah, bro. I'm, I'm sending you to these guys over here. Right? And so he had abandoned the idea of, you know, just like many of us, of working within the field of our studies. Right, Miles? It's okay, right? I mean, you've got bachelor's degree on your resume. That's something. Something, you know, might not be pertinent, but it's something. But Paul was like, you know, that's not, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm doing. Now, in fact, Paul was committed to the idea that he wasn't, he wasn't even, you know, it just wasn't that, that his resume didn't add up. In his mind, he wasn't even a good Christian. <laughs> he wasn't even a good, very good Christian. In his mind, he was completely unqualified for the job that God had given him. It says in verse 8, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, delivering the gospel to the pagan Gentile peoples, that was a pretty big responsibility for a guy that's the least of all the saints. It's a pretty, pretty big job for a guy who, who's convinced that he's the worst Christian on earth. <laughs> and I wonder if we ever feel like Paul. I wonder if we ever feel like Paul. Do you ever feel like your past sin or the consequences of your past have put you at a deficit in your Christianity and, and, your, and your work in the ministry. That, they've, ever, that they, they've held you back in some way. Right? Where you think, you think back on who you've been. And you're like, man, I was so jacked and I wasted so much time. And now here I am following Christ. And it's like, I'm, I'm, it's like I'm the least of all the Christians on earth. Do you ever, you know, come to a place like church and you look around and you see other Christians, you see their passion and you see their knowledge of God's word 
and you see their confidence in Christ and you feel like, man, that's just beyond me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know what that feels like. I have, I have no idea. And it feels, it feels like what you're supposed to be is just so distant and out of arm's reach. I think all of us have felt this way. I think all of us have felt this way from time to time, as though there's, there's smarter and more gifted people out there, and how did I end up here? And, and I just wanted to follow Jesus, but, but like, what am I even going to do? What am I even qualified to do? Paul says that he is, the, is less than all the saints. But when we look at Paul's life, we know the Apostle Paul. Like, we've got his story. We can look at it. And we know that God used him mightily to spread the gospel throughout the world. And we know when, when we look at the Bible that the lion's share of our New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. And so we, when we hear him say this, we, we kind of say to ourselves, well, well, this is just some false modesty. This is just a bunch of false modesty. This is him just talking because look at how God used him so mightily. This business of being the, the least of all of the saints, that's kind of nonsense. But now listen to me, he earnestly believed that. He truly believed from his perspective in, in terms of how he understood his own identity. He was the least of all the Christians. Now we ask ourselves, why? Why did he feel this way? If you're familiar with Paul's story, you know that his sins were egregious. That his past was terrible. Before the apostle Paul was saved, he was complicit in the murder of other Christians and persecuted the church. And he did this all over Rome. He, he, was, he traveled about Rome persecuting the church. That's what was in his past. But after Paul got saved, we know that the knowledge of his past, it humbled him greatly. It brought him low. And he was dismayed and, and regretful of, of who he was in times past. He believed that it was so dark, that that, same, that stain of his past was so dark that it affected his ab ability to minister and his, and his qualifications for ministry. And the truth is, it probably was. I mean, just imagine for a second, you're the guy that was helping kill Christians and imprison them, and the next day you show up, and you're like, and they're like, aren't you Saul? And he's like, no, I'm Paul. <laughs> and um, can we hang out? <laughs> and the Christians are like, what's that dog meme? The, the dog, like, is it like... You know what I'm talking about? And so, like, I mean, he shows up, and that's real suspect, right? Like, you were, bro, you were just, you were just killing Christians, and we're supposed to invite you in? And, and Paul knew that it was a stain. We knew that when he, I mean, we could see it. When he went to Jerusalem, this was problematic for him. And he knew that he carried this stain around, that he couldn't go back and erase his past. That wasn't going to happen. And so he carried this baggage, and he hated it. He knew it couldn't change. So rather than being anxious or afraid or distant in his calling, he yielded to God's grace, and it propelled him into the work. See, it wasn't his qualifications that enabled him. It was his confidence in Christ. Listen to how he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. Because let's, 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 he repeats this over and over again. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, For I... Am the least of the apostles, 
So now he's not just talking about among all the Christians. He's talking about his peers in, the, in apostleship. You know, he's talking about Peter and John and, and the guys that, that, that he's supposed to be peers with. And he's saying, I am the least of the apostles. Let him not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That was his reasoning. I persecuted the church of God. I am the least among the apostles. I do not deserve this opportunity. I do not deserve it, and I am unqualified. Now, it wasn't just the fact that he persecuted the church that left a stain on his resume. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. It's also about the fact that many people saw him as weak in his gifting. He had to deal with the fact that, that he struggled with public speaking. Apparently, the, the testimony of Paul was that he wasn't a great, or that he was a great letter writer, but he wasn't a great speaker. So when he, he and, which is, sucks for him, because, like, that was what he did. Like, like, he traveled around and spoke. And people were like, yeah, you're not really that good at that. You know. That's, that's kind of crummy deal, right? So he admits as much in, in 2 Corinthians, you know, speaking in third person here, he rehearses people's claims about him. Uh, chapter 10, verse 10 says, for his letters say, uh, uh, they say they are weighty and powerful. Speaking of the letters that he writes, right? They're weighty and powerful. Now we can testify to that because we've got some of them. They are weighty and powerful. Phenomenal writer, phenomenal thinker. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Now, look, these claims, they weren't completely unfounded. I don't know if you remember, but the dude put a boy to sleep while speaking, and the boy fell from a window to his death. Right? Like, <laughs> how do you live that down? I mean... Like, I see some of y'all sleeping on Sundays while I'm preaching. I get it. I'm not mad about that. But if you died, I'd feel real bad. Like, <laughs> like if you fell asleep and then never woke up, that would be sad for me. Like, that I was so boring that you didn't just fall asleep, but I made your heart stop <laughs> would be sad. That's, and that's on his resume. Now, luckily, you know, he went down there and was like, oh, I got to do something about this. And Christ was like, yes, you do. <laughs> and, he's, and they saved the boy. Uh, Jesus came through. So, I mean, that's not a great resume builder. Let's put it that way. Okay? So we must be careful to remember, you know, when we think about Paul, we must be careful to remember that our past does not determine what we're capable of in Christ. And, our, and, our, and our, even our skill set does not determine what we are capable of in Christ. Paul refused to let the fact that his past had deficiencies in it keep him from obeying God. Listen to the conclusion that he draws about this. If we read on in 1 Corinthians 15 where we were just at, it says, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but... By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. 
but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was, in, was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. And so what he's saying here is, okay, I get it. I, I am the least of the apostles. I get it. I get my, my past. It looks bad. But I know what God called me to. And he's made me able. His grace has made me able. And so my past isn't going to hold me back. It's going to cause me to, to labor harder. It's going to drive me to, to run faster. To greater urgency. To greater intentionality. I will labor all the more knowing that it's his grace that is sufficient. And so he says, whether it's, whether it's the other apostles or me that preach, so you believed. God's using me too. He refuses to let what people say about his ability in, in, interfere with his call to preach the gospel. Look, look, at, look at the, we were talking about his weaknesses. Look at 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10 where we were just at. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such and one think this. Go ahead and think that. It doesn't bother me. That such as we are in word by letters when we, when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. In other words, whatever power you found in those letters, that same power will be present when I show up. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. But we will, we will not boast of things without our measure. We, will not, so we can't boast about things that are outside of our control. We are who we are. We won't boast of such things. But according to the measure of the rule, which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. So be careful, brothers and sisters. Because when we believe that we are less than or less qualified than other people, the natural outcome is that we will diminish our role in the mission. And then in time, we will devalue God's call in our life. And then in time, we will eventually quit the work altogether. That's the path that that leads on. When you compare yourself to other Christians and you look around the room and you say, well, I'm not as good as, I can't do those things. I can't. And I'm not, I've got all this baggage and, and this person seems perfect. This person seems like they've never sinned in their life. Those are unreasonable thoughts. And we ought not compare ourselves among ourselves because ultimately God has called you. and He's made you able. But if you start comparing yourself to other people, you will diminish your role in the ministry and instead of pressing in and laboring more abundantly, you will lean out and you will slowly back away. That's, that is what will happen. 
It might take months, it might take a year, it might take several years for it to happen. But if you continue to look at yourself as less than, you will eventually walk away altogether. I've seen it over and over again. Here's our key point. Your self-estimation has no bearing on God's divine estimation of you. When you're writing out your resume and you discover that your resume is, is less than ideal, God asks you, please, just tear it up. It is of no consequence. I walk with you. I talk with you. I lead you. I guide you. I empower you. I want to use you. I've told you my will. I'm calling you to a work. Trust it. Move forward. Take steps. I will bring your life worth. We must know that God is not concerned with our past or our intelligence or our experience or our skills in the world or our resume. It's our willingness to believe him that whatever the job requires, he's made us capable. And in fact, it's the unqualified that are those that he seeks to employ for use the most. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's why. That's why he chooses people like you and me. That's why he selects the most unqualified so that you can't glory in the flesh, that you can't point to yourself and say, look at the good job I did. No, 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 no. It's not you. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, of whom God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And here's our next point. Your self-estimation has no bearing on your usefulness in the divine mission because he selects foolish people to do his foolish yet glorious work. That's who he picks that's who he wants. And just speaking, let's just speak logically. Who are the people that need Christ? I remember being in high school. It was, my high school was kind of divided between like really affluent people and people that, that um, were, were not, that were like me, like <laughs> broke, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so, you know, the live, people that live modestly. And I remember when I started following Christ, uh, sharing the gospel with my friends. And I found, in general, that the rich kids were harder to preach to. And the reason was because they had everything figured out. In their mind, you know, they had, they had no needs. And it isn't until a person is broken and recognizes that they are weak and miserable and, and in need of a Savior... That they can be saved. And it's Christ. He's like, man, this is, this is this foolish childlike faith. I can do something with that. I could do something with that. So, so our estimation of ourself has no bearing on our usefulness because, because God's doing the work. And so now that we've determined that grace empowers us 
to do things that, that would otherwise be beyond the constraints of our personal resume, let's consider what the job itself requires. Okay, let's just assume that God's qualified you. <clears throat> and he's called you to do this work. Okay, well, what is the work? What is the work? We need to identify our vocation. <clears throat> See, every biblical Christian knows that their identity is wrapped up in what Christ did for them. They know that, right? Like, if you're biblical in your Christianity, you know that your identity, I mean, that's the point of like what all of these lessons throughout all of Ephesians, this is ultimately what we're getting at. You're a child of God. That's your identity. Let's just jump ahead for a second. That's, that's who you are. And if you get that, if you have a biblical view of who you are, and we see that we are his children, then we also conclude, can conclude, if I can get that out, that we were created in Christ Jesus. We were created in him. And if we were created in Christ Jesus, we are his workmanship, then we are created unto good works. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 told us. We were made for work. We were made to do work. So to find an identity in Christ is to find an identity in a vocation, in a job profile. Okay, now, now listen to me. I, I don't want you to get confused. That there's no job profile that you needed to fulfill to accept Christ. Okay, in salvation, there's no work that you could do. It was a work of Christ. He had the job profile that was necessary for you to get saved. But now that you are a believer, you should tie your identity to what you're willing to do for God. It's an integral part of your, of your Christianity. Now that you're saved... Now that you've been set apart, it's time to get to work. And in fact, he's going to rate you. You guys ever had one of those like, uh, you know, year-end reviews at work? Gah, terrible. Okay, well, the creator of the whole universe is going to do that with you uh, at the end of your life. So, yeah. He expects you to identify yourself with the job he's given you. Now, Paul is going to tell us what that job is. It's the same job that he had. So let's explore what that meant to Paul and, and what it should mean to us as well. First, we need to be evangelists. He wa God wants us to evangelize. Verse 9 says this, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Paul believed it was his responsibility to tell all men about Christ. The job of an evangelist is a preacher. That's what you are. You're a preacher of the gospel. To make the gospel a mystery to no one. That's your job. But here's the deal. People in our world, they don't know the gospel. They don't. It is a mystery to most people. People don't know the gospel. I know that there's churches everywhere. But apparently they're not doing their job. Come to find out. The number of people that identify as Christian is down 27% since 1990. So I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what kind of stock to take in statistics like that. That seems like not a good sign, right? 1990. I see some of you weren't born, but to me that's like yesterday, okay? I was like, I was, you know, playing with X-Men action figures, and uh, running around in the backyard, right? Uh, I was eight, year, eight years old in 1990. 
But, but man, you got to imagine, in just a matter of, what, 33 years, a 27% decline? People don't associate or believe according to Scripture? So I, I don't know what to say about that. But I'll tell you this. In the years I spent teaching, I was a teacher for a decade. I started teaching in 2009, and I quit in 2019. So I got a sample of a decade of what the, the people that I engaged with, what, what they were like. And I, I saw a change. I saw lots of change. And I saw within that decade a student body drastically become less aware of, of the Christian faith. I had students who'd never been in church, never stepped foot in a church. I mean, we're talking about normal Midwestern kids, never been in a church before, not in their entire life, had never heard beyond the name Jesus anything about him. It was shocking. I mean, I had, I had my work cut out for me. But this is the world that we live in. And Paul says, look, I want to I make all men see. All of them. Everyone. I want them all to see. This was Paul's job, and this is our job too. That's what Matthew 28, 19 says. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, all people. All nations, none excluded. Go. Tell them. In 2 Timothy uh, 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 chapter 4, Paul reminds Timothy that it's his job to commit himself to the work of an evangelist. That's who you are too. The question is, are you doing it? Like, are you do this is real simple, guys. This is, this is ABC Christianity here. People, that's, people that are set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ should go tell other people how they can be set free. That seems simple enough, right? Like if you believe that there's a heaven and you believe that there's a hell and that Jesus Christ is the only thing, knowing him, putting your faith in him, is the only thing that keeps you from hell, it seems pretty rational to me that our first responsibility once we know Christ is to help other people know Christ. But we don't. We don't. You know, man, our church, uh, our church services are wonderful, aren't they? We, we love to gather together, right? We love to, to come together. We accomplish so much when we gather together. We facilitate learning and fellowship. We facilitate prayer. We facilitate the work of, of missionaries all over the world. We take offerings every Sunday, and we raise money to help missionaries all over the world. So many wonderful things can be accomplished in the context of a church service. You know the one thing that gets harder and harder to do when we gather? Reaching the lost. That's the one thing that we can't do on Sunday mornings and Tuesday nights. I know that people do come to Christ. I hope people would come to Christ today after this service. I hope people that don't know Jesus and come visit us at church will come to know Christ. But listen to me, when we gather there's a lot of purpose that we can find in that. But you know what? It's your responsibility as an individual, not, not my responsibility on a Sunday morning like this. It's your responsibility as an individual to make an investment in the lost outside of these four walls. That's your job. It's my job to go and to meet people and to build relationships and to love people and to express to them their need for Christ. This is the work of the individual believer. See, the lost, the lost, those are your friends. 
The lost world, those are your friends. Those are your family members. Those are your classmates. Those are your coworkers. I don't know them. The church doesn't know them. You know them. It's your responsibility. So go and preach. You know, it's amazing what we busy ourselves with. We are so good at filling our time. But how many of us can honestly say that sharing the message of Jesus Christ is a top priority in our life? Very few of us. And so if you are to identify yourself by what you do, then identify yourself as an evangelist and preach the gospel to those that aren't saved. That's what you need to do. Next, pretty straightforward. We need to be disciples of Jesus. Listen to what this says here. It says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So what Paul is addressing here is that the mystery of Christ's headship over a church that's made of all peoples was a truth that even the angels rejoice in discovering. That even the angels, when they discovered, when the mystery was revealed to them, that Christ was opening the gospel up to the whole world and he was gathering to himself a body of people that looked like every nation and every tribe and that all could stand under the banner of Christ and that they were his bride. When the angels, when the principalities and powers in heavenly places discovered that, they rejoiced. And under that truth, listen, under that truth, under that mystery being revealed, there was a unity of knowledge and wisdom between the powers in heaven and the children on earth. Did you know that there are things about the church that amaze even the angels in heaven? 1 Peter 1.12 says, Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Like, the, like pfft. the angels look at you and they say to themselves, wow, that's dirt serving the creator. Man, what is this grace thing about? They've never had to experience grace like we have. I mean, we're the dirty, rotten sinners that God turned into heroes. And the angels look into that and they say to themselves, wow, that is wild. Tell, I want to see more about that. They're inquisitive of what Christ can do in you. Now listen, there are, there are so many amazing things associated with following God in the church age. It's such a wonderful thing to live right now and to be a follower of God. And I, and I wonder, I wonder, are we growing in our knowledge and wisdom in God? Like, do we desire, I mean, the angels desire to look in. They're, they're inquisitive. Are you do you have a desire to know the Lord better, to know his word better? Do you have a desire to grow in your ability to understand what true wisdom is? You know, we talked at length about knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Do you desire those things? 
Do you desire to grow? Do you desire to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And if you do, then you will desire to know more and more about his word. It will fill your heart. It'll fill your mind. It'll propel you forward. You will want to seek his word daily. That's what you'll want. Now, when you become a disciple, then you'll become a discipler. When you become a true disciple of Christ, you will become a discipler. And then you will have the ability to commit to others what you've been taught. You'll have the ability to pour the truth that you're learning into other people's lives. Are we making disciples? Matthew 28, we just read Matthew 28, 19. Matthew 28, 20 says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Are you a part of that process? Like there are people in here today that call themselves Christian, but, but aren't actually following Christ as disciples. Now, historically speaking, when we look at the Bible, we know that the, the name Christian is actually tied to whether or not a person is a disciple of Christ. Like that's a privileged title, Christian, little Christ. That's a privileged title for someone who's already committed their lives. Like if we were gonna, like if we were gonna split hairs on this issue, if you weren't actively learning the word of God and pouring it into other people's lives, then you shouldn't even be called Christian. Saved, maybe. Christian, eh, I don't know. Listen, God's called us into relationship with him. He's called us to follow after him. That means that you need to learn this book and then you need to invite people along to learn it with you. Are you doing that? Are you committed to that work? Are you investing in others? Are you getting the training that you need? So if you were to identify yourself by what you do, which you should, then identify yourself as a teacher and teach the Bible to those who've come to Christ. Do that. Third, we need to be people of prayer. Verse 11 says, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. So Paul says that when we gain wisdom, we gain the wisdom of God, it's according to the eternal purpose that we find in Christ. With the eternal purpose also comes an access to the eternal creator. You have access to the creator. You have access And so if we're looking again at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where where Christ is commissioning his disciples, and we know that he's called us to preach the gospel, and then he's called us to disciple people, to teach them and to train them, then we can also know something else that's really, really important. Matthew 28, 20 says this, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Even unto the end of the world, amen. So here's the interesting promise that, God, that, that Christ makes to his disciples is if you pursue me and you do this work of teaching and you make your life about discipleship, don't worry about your qualifications. Don't worry about, you're gonna fail, you're gonna mess up. Listen, I am with you. Always. At all times, between now and the end of time, I am with you. Do, you. do you know 
what you have? I mean, I don't think we do. Because if I look at my life and I see my behaviors, a lot of the times they look faithless. They, they look like I don't know that Christ walks with me. And so what Paul is telling us right now is he's reminding us that, look, do you not know that you have access to God and that you should go to him with complete confidence? That you, that you have audience with the king? Look, the, the door to our boss's office is always open. He has an open door policy. When you need me, I'll be here. How is it? How is it that if you have access to the king that you would not take advantage of that? Like it's an, it's an absurd concept to think that I could call the president. I don't know if I'd want to. But I'm like, hey, bro, you know what I need? I could, I could, I could really, I could really use um, like a tiki taco in my house. I could really use a tiki taco like in my house now. And the president was just like, all right, Brandon wants a tiki taco in his house. And the rest of the next day, the restaurants just, they're like out there working. And I got, I got people, I could, I, a surf and turf burrito at any time I want. That's probably what I would request. If I, could, if I could call the president right now, I'd be like, hey, bro, you know what I need? He's like, anything for you. I need on-demand tacos. Amen? Amen. <laughs> but, if, but if I had access to the creator of the universe and his will was my will and our hearts were like this, I mean, what if, what if I never called? What kind of stupid idiot would I be if I didn't reach out to him in confidence knowing that he heard me and that he was with me all way? So are you praying? Are you praying consistently? First, First Thessalonians 5.17 do you pray alone? Do you pray with people? Listen, pray. <laughs> Talk to God. He wants to hear from you. You know, Sam always tells our church that, that what we do together on a Tuesday night is the most important meeting that we have as a family. Do you believe that? Or is that just like, yeah, that's just talk. When we get together on Tuesdays, we pray together. And we call upon the creator of the universe to help us in our endeavors. And he does. And he does. I mean, many of you that are in this room are the result of the prayers that were prayed on those Tuesday nights. You don't know it. You'll ne you'd never know that this side, of, this side of eternity. But when you get to heaven, God's going to say to you, you know, there was one night in 2020 where my saints were praying at 40th and Walnut. And they prayed a prayer, and I heard it, and you are the answer to that prayer. Listen, y'all, we have to pray. It's integral to who we are. If you have access to the king, you need to take advantage of that. 
And so if, if you were to identify yourself by what you do, then identify yourself as a person of prayer. And pray that God might receive the glory from people's lives and the circumstances that we face. Lastly, to work for Christ, it requires fearlessness. We need to be unafraid. Verse 13 says, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So Paul's saying, when you, when you see me suffer, don't be disturbed or afraid. So here's Paul writing a letter from a prison cell. There because ultimately he believes that Christ is the Savior of the world. That's why he's in prison. And he's telling them, look, when you see me in this situation, do not be disturbed or afraid. Not for my sake, not for your sake. Because you can imagine, like, people are like, oh, that's what happened? That's what happened to Paul? Is that going to happen to me? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Oh, persecution? I mean, like, so if I preach the gospel, not everyone's going to love that? You know, my family might reject me. They might think I'm stupid or... You know, classmates and people aren't, like, if I speak up about what I believe at school, in my philosophy class, you mean people aren't going to be into that? I remember I, I spoke up about some sort of biblical concept in my philosophy class at UMKC some, I don't know, whatever that was, 18 years ago. I don't know. What and this is a room of, you know, every bit as big as this section, maybe bigger. And he's like, no, Brandon, we already know what you think. And he interrupted me just like that. We already know what you think. Let's get someone who actually believes in, a, in, a, in an actual legitimate philosophy. I kind of like that. <laughs> I kind of like that. I was a little angry, but only because I lost an opportunity. Listen. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Tribulation, trial, difficulty, it's all part of the package. And our suffering is the glory of the church. Wherefore I desire that you faint not and my tribulations for you, which is your glory. My, he said, my tribulations, your glory. <laughs> all of this is just a reflection of my investment. the glory of the church. It's our crown is our persecution. And so if you were to identify yourself by what you do, then identify yourself as one resolved, resolved, and suffer with joy the burdens and trials of the gospel. Here's the point. Here's the summary of all, all four of these vocational identifiers. What you spend your life doing says everything about, what you, about uh, your true identity, everything. What you spend your life doing says everything about your true identity. What do you spend your time doing? You know, the only resource that you actually have in life is time. You say, well, money is a resource. Sure. But only because you invested time to get it. 
the only resource that is actually invaluable, that's like, there is, you can't even put an estimation on its value, is time. And many of us are experts at wasting it. If time was a bank account, some of you would be broke because you've turned no profit for the kingdom. So if what you do with your Christian life is a reflection of your true identity, I want to call you today to make your pursuit about Jesus. If you're not sharing the gospel, start. Oh, I don't know the gospel very well. I mean, like, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to share. Okay, come be a disciple. Come be a disciple. Come learn the word of God. Build your confidence and your ability to speak from God's word. Come be a disciple. Some of you have gotten discipled but decided not to sign up for Foundations uh, 3 this semester because you're not interested in making disciples. You got discipled. You really liked all the, all the time and energy that someone poured into you. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm really ready yet to do that with someone else. Okay, I see. Be a disciple, make disciples. Prayer. Change your prayer life. Be a prayer warrior. Commit to that. Be unafraid. Be bold. Your father walks with you. So it's not about your experience or your qualifications. It's about your willingness to obey the will of God. So with that, I want you to know that I have a testimony of this very thing that I want to share with you today. Um, There's a couple in our ministry uh, who know, they're confident that God's called them uh, to do a work. And they've chosen to obey. They've chosen to obey faithfully. There's a couple in our ministry that I remember when they both showed up individually. And over time, both of them have proven their faithfulness to the work. I want to invite Becca and, and Romeo up. Um, so, so these are two people who love the Lord with all their heart. And they a long time ago decided that whatever God asked of them, they will do. And they both take, they, they take their studies seriously. They make discipleship a priority in their life. They love God's word. They believe in prayer. And now God's plan is unfolding one step at a time in their life. And so Romeo and Becca are actually going to be transitioning this month into the middle school ministry. Um, and, and Romeo will be taking over for Josh O'Hora. Josh uh, has a desire to be a church planter. He's never worked in adult ministry before. So Josh is actually going to step away. Uh, he's going to transition out of that role. And he's going to train Romeo to take it over. And I can't begin to tell you just how perfect this is. Like there are, there are no better people to be called up for this kind of service. And I'll tell you, it's not because they have the right resume. It's not because Romeo is perfect and Becca's got it all figured out and and, uh, you know, when we looked at, when we took all the resumes, we took all, all of the applications, we whittled them down, and they had the best qualifications, no. 
We don't do that, if you didn't know. There's not a single resume or application who's ever come through the doors of our church. See, what we do is we promote people who are faithful to the things that we talked about today. And when God's plan manifests itself clear, everyone gets that email. And all of the pastors believe that these two are the ones for the job. And they believe that too. And so this is the announcement. (laughs) Uh, It's heartbreaking. And it's also so joyous. It's so very joyous. And so um, if you have been discipled or you are responsible for discipling in any level this couple, I want to invite you up. Uh, We're going to pray for them. Uh, because over this month, they're going to be transitioning out of their leadership and Bible study. They're going to be transitioning into the middle school ministry. And we, outside of the occasional visit, aren't going to see them very much. They're not, Kaya won't be their ministry anymore. And, uh, and that's so okay. <laughs> um, but we love them, and so we want to send them off the right way. And that's in prayer, to invite our Father to help. And so if you if you've feel close to Romeo and Becca, just come on up. Like if, if you've been discipled by and or have invested in their lives in some way, Bible study leaders, whatever, we'll get a group of 15, 20 people up here. Let's pray for them. Let's ask for God's help uh, as they move forward. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, you told us that that um, that you're gonna you're gonna continue to call out the faithful, and that you're gonna use our best and brightest. And we know that, that the work um, it demands uh, faithful people be called to be called out, and 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 they're called to faithful work. And so, Lord, I'm I'm so grateful uh, for Romeo and for Becca. They mean so much to us. They will always. Uh, their impact on this ministry will be felt for a very, very long time. It will continue to be felt. Um, I mean, my son is going to be in the ministry that they lead. And one day, you know, my son will be here in this ministry. Well, this is true discipleship. This is what it looks like. And so, God, we ask for your blessing on their life. We ask for grace in the transition, we ask for you to empower them, to use them, Lord, that they would be fitly joined to this work. And Lord, ultimately, that Romeo and Becca would both become the people that you need them to be to further the gospel in this world. That you would, like, just as, as, as promised, you know, Paul didn't have everything right. He was weak and he was unqualified, but Lord, you made him fit for the work. And so, Lord, we pray the same thing for Romeo and Becca, that that their deficiencies would mean nothing in light of who you are. And, Lord, that you would make them capable of doing things that, that Lord, even Josh was not, like in his tenure, couldn't be done. Lord, help us to go, uh, you know, from great to greater with each successive year. And so, Lord, be with them. Uh, Speak to them. Lord, help them to know that, that we are with them, but, Lord, also more importantly, that you are with them. You're walking with them, and you are their good father. So we're calling on you. Lord, thank you for the the time that we've had, and uh, we ask that you would continue to bless us and 
and be grateful for, uh, for how you've knit us together as a family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so as we close, people are going to hug in front of me. <laughs> and they're going to they're gonna sob a little bit. And then we can, and some of you can probably reserve that for, there's going to be some of that too. Um, here's what we're going to do. This is how we're going to close. Okay, you, so you say to yourself, I know I'm a Christian. I know the Holy Spirit is inside of me. I believed on Christ as my Savior. Now what? This is a now what moment. Okay, now you can see that this couple here, not that long ago, Romeo, have you been saved five years? Seven years. So I remember when Romeo was in high school, okay? So in seven years, he went from a kid that didn't know a lick. I mean, this, he, grew up, he grew up Jewish, right? He didn't know about Christ, right? Not for real, for real. He met Christ, and in seven years, now he's leading ministry in a way that is just an incredible thing. Now listen, who are you supposed to be? I don't know who you're supposed to be. But I know this. I know that there are four things that you need to get to work doing. And if you know that there needs to be some change and you need to figure out what the next steps for your life are as a Christian, come forward, meet with someone who's going to be standing up here. They want to talk to you about what next steps look like for you. We want, we want Christ to get the glory out of your life. So at the judgment seat, when you stand before him after all of this is done, he can say, well done. Well done. That's what we want. So stop wasting time. Quit wasting life. Step out. Quit doing the easy thing. You've been doing the easy thing for way too long. Your Christianity has been convenient for way, way too long. Quit that. It's time to make it hard. Time to make it worthwhile. Come grab a hold of someone and pray. And consider what it means to follow Jesus Christ with everything you have and make him your vocation. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for today. We thank you for the testimony of Romeo and Becca. Uh, we, we love them. They mean so much to us. Um, Lord, would you count us faithful? <laughs> would, you, would you help people here today to, to want to follow you, to want to lay things down? Help us, help us to know you and to, and to pursue you with our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.